Thanks, Todd. Hey, good morning. Good morning. My name's Ross. I'm one of the pastors here at Bethel, and, and uh, if you're visiting, glad you're here. Hope you'll let us know. We'd love to say thanks for coming to the service today. We um, are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles, turn there. I'll have the, the scripture up on the board, but I, if you've got it in your phone or, your, or, or a Bible with you, to open it up because I'd love for you to see what we're looking at today. Here's the uh, kind of big idea or the thing that Paul is addressing in these verses. He's, he's going to help us this morning to navigate what we might call the gray areas of life, areas where Scripture doesn't particularly or exactly or specifically speak about, but yet we live in a world where we have to make decisions about, hey, should I do this or not do this? Is this a thing for me or not for me? And, and what guides us in making those decisions? How do we navigate that? Well, one of the things that was going on in Corinth is um, Paul, give you a little update, he, we've been looking at the Corinthian letter since last uh, fall, but Paul planted this church. You can find out all about it in Acts chapter 18. He plants the church. He's there for 18 months, leaves, another pastor comes in. And, um, but during that time that Paul was with the Corinthians, he taught them a lot of truths, truths about what it means to live the Christian life, truths about who Jesus is, truths about how the Holy Spirit works in our life. And so Paul taught them lots of truths. And what took place in Corinthians, in Corinth, is a lot like what takes place in our own churches and in our own lives. We hear a lot of truths, and some of them we don't like. And so we latch on to the truths that we like, and we... Um, uh, we elevate those and we minimize the others. In the case of the Corinthians, what they had done is they heard Paul teach about uh, the freedom that we have in the Christian life. And when Paul teaches about it, you can find it in Romans, you can find it in Galatians. We are free. We're free from the law. We're free from the, uh, from the binds of the old covenant. We no longer live under that tutor. We are now in Christ. We are in a new covenant. We don't have the dietary laws. We, we don't have the um, ceremonial laws to follow. The sacrificial law. We, we don't do any of that anymore. We left that behind when Jesus stepped out of the grave. We live in the new covenant which means that the law is written on our hearts and we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit and we are in Christ and we follow Him. We don't live our life by a set of rules. We live our life by walking in the Spirit. And so the Corinthians, they would have heard this and at some point in that, Paul would have illustrated it or he might have summed it up and he said, really what it boils down to is believers, all things are permissible to us. 
And then he probably said some other things, but in the Corinthians' mind, it was all things are permissible to us, blah, 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 blah. And they hung on to the all things are permissible. And then what they did was like, man, this would be a great bumper sticker. So they made bumper stickers and they made t-shirts and they built these arm, you know, little wristbands that they wore around. And so what does your wristband say? Mine says, what would Jesus do? And he says, oh, mine says everything's permissible. And so that's what they clung to. And that one law, that one truth, became the whole truth to the Corinthians. And so Paul's addressing it. He's going to address this, this what's been going on. And he's been addressing it for a couple of chapters. And he comes to the conclusion here. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 23. All things are lawful. This was their slogan. Paul believed it. I'm sure it is a truth that he taught. But now he has to come back. He's quoting them. All things are lawful. That's, That's what you say. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful. But not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of that for which I give thanks. So whatever, whether you, uh, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. If you would bow with me. Father, pray you'd help us this morning to hear these words. And that, Father, by your spirit, your your spirit would... With your word, get down into the, our hearts and our minds, but, but even down into the core of who we are. We want to be transformed into the likeness of your son. And Father, some of the things we talk about this morning are directly related to that in our everyday life. And so, Father, we want ears that are open and eyes that are open, minds that can hear what you have to say. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, go back up to verse 23 with me. Uh, All things are lawful. If you have the NIV that was updated in 2011, great translation, it says, I have the right to do anything. It's a great translation of the Greek there. That's what they're getting at. I have the right to do anything. The New International Version, NIV 84, says everything is 
permissible. ESV, all things are lawful. It gives you the idea that, that listen, that they, they had really seized upon this freedom. I mean, they, they, they were all trying to get a PhD in freedom in Christ. Now, this is the second time Paul has brought up the issue of this one truth that has become the whole truth with the Corinthians. He did it back in chapter 6, and he had to do it in the context. It kind of went like this. They were saying, all things are lawful. And Paul says, yes, except for the way that you're going to the temple prostitutes. That's not lawful. And so he has to deal with sexual immorality. Because they had taken one truth, made it the whole truth, and applied it to everything in their life, even their sinful desires, even their cravings and their impulses. And there, Paul says, listen, I get it, all things are lawful, but, man, not all things make you holy, and... I don't want to be enslaved by anything. I don't want anything to have such a control over me that it is no longer me choosing. Rather, it's my desires or my impulses or my cravings or my... I'm at the mercy of of whatever may come my way. I, I, I don't want to be dominated by or enslaved by or held captive to anything in my life. Paul says, that's the reason you've been set free. He writes about it to the Galatians, Galatians 5. It is for freedom that Christ set you free. And the context there is that there were Judaizers, these people that, you know, kind of old religion, and they were coming to say, look, you guys, y'all are too willy-nilly, man. There's all these rules you need to be following. And they were passing out magnets they could put on their refrigerator of all the rules. And Paul says, no, we don't live by those kinds of rules anymore. We've been called to something even greater, even higher. And so Paul says here, not all things are helpful, and not all things build up. And while in chapter 6 he was talking about what's going on inside of us, spiritually and personally, here he's looking outward and he said, look, not all things are helpful to the people around us and the people that we're supposed to love. And not all things build those people up either. And so we have to balance that. We can't be people who take one truth and make it the whole truth. We have to balance all the truths in the Christian life. So look at what he says in verse 24. It helps us. We know what he's talking about when he says all, you know, not all things are helpful and not all things build up. And he's, he's, he's thinking about the people out there because he says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Tell you a little something about that word neighbor. Most of the time in the New Testament, in fact, almost like probably 95% of the time, when you see the word neighbor, behind it is a Greek word that means someone who is next to you or close to you or thinks the same way that you do about a lot of things or, you know, kind of the way we have friends and, and, and peer groups. And most of the time, it's people that... Um, 
you know, are close to us and, and, and think the same way we do. Because the people that don't think the same way, we end up weeding those people out, right? Here, Paul doesn't use that word. He uses a different word that can also be translated neighbor. It's the word heteros, which means not someone who is like me, but someone who is different than me. In fact, it means um, someone who uh, is on the other side. It may refer to a believer who thinks differently than you do about certain things. It, it creates a place where we can have diversity. That kind of a word. He also may be referring to unbelievers who think differently than we do, including what we believe about who Jesus is. In fact, I think as Paul uses this word, what he probably has is he probably has the furthest out in mind, the, the furthest out in our world, and, and then everybody in between. And he says, look, do not seek your own good. Let, let us not seek our own good, but the good of our neighbor, the furthest one out, the one who's different than we are. Here's a couple of other verses. Because this isn't the only place Paul says something like this. Listen to this. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I, I want to just pause there for a second because this is one of those things that if you've ever been in a Bible memory program, you've you been in some place where you were like in an uh, accountability group, and these are good things, and I, I commend them to you. But this is, you've heard this. I mean, we've heard that. If you've been around the church, this is familiar. Here's the, here's the deal, though. Most of us, our instinct, our reflex, is that we treat this truth about the Christian life like a JV truth. You know? Like, we really like... All things are permissible. Our reflex is not consider others better than yourself. Consider others better than yourself. Most of us are not knocking that out of the park. I mean, we might do well when we're like, you know, it's easy to consider somebody who's been nice to me, treated with me well, deserves my respect better than myself. 
But man, I meet a whole bunch of other people that just flat out are not better than me. That's how we live. Listen, we are a people in the 21st century. I, I can't speak exactly for how Corinth was in the first century. I get a sense that there are a lot of things that are common to our environments, but I will tell you, I'll I'll tell you where we probably have them beat is the personal entitlements that all of us feel. Paul says, you know what? Set those aside. Others are more important than you are. I could get in this, I got to move on. I'd love to spend a whole hour here and just keep piling it on and you feel real terrible and guilty. And Actually, no, I don't want to do that. But this is what's going on in Corinth. They were ignoring all of these truths about the Christian life for the sake of one truth. Here's a couple of questions you can ask yourself. Should I do something? Should I How should I proceed in an area that Scripture doesn't speak specifically about? How do I balance the truth of all things are permissible, but not everything makes me holy. I don't want to become enslaved to anything. Not everything is helpful to those around me. Not everything builds up the people around me. How do we balance it? Here's a couple of things. One, ask the question as it comes up, whatever it is. Does this build me up spiritually? So you're presented with a gray area in life. Something happens and you're like, man, there's not a chapter, there's not a verse for me to go to to tell me if this is right or wrong. I'll give you an illustration. If somebody were to come to you and say, I have two season tickets to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I'd like to give them to you. And now you're left with wondering, should I take those or not? Would it be sinful for me to have those? Probably. (laughs) It's probably a terrible idea, honestly, but Paul says everything's permissible. Even the Pittsburgh Steelers, I guess. How am I to know what I'm supposed to... Dinner and drinks with some folks from work. Is that something I can go to or not go to? Out to the club, dancing with my friends. Because I know that decision faces a lot of you all the time, right? (laughs) Told that first hour, and they're looking at me like, huh? (laughs) We got up at 4 o'clock this morning, yeah. Whatever it is, and we're trying to wrestle with it. So we ask the question, does this build me up spiritually? Listen, I I was working through these. I'm convicted about how much of my life is lived on autopilot. How I do not spend enough time, and I want to. I want to be more thoughtful about how I live this life as a believer. And there are so many Things that are just 
You know, just automatic responses to me that I don't really give a thought to. But these are good places for us to pause. Does it build me up spiritually? I think we're all aware there are certain things in our life that tear us down. We need to stay away from those things. But there are things that the effect of those things may be that they dull our, our spiritual appetites. You know, does it keep you from Christian fellowship, you know, fellowship with other believers? Does it, does it do something to minimize your desire to pray? Does it take away or, or dampen your appetite for for? Bible study, does whatever it is that you're faced with, is that something that has the potential to make the world around you more attractive than the world to come? And whatever it is. Maybe it's something on the television. Maybe it's a certain kind of music. Maybe it's a Maybe certain kind of relationships. So I'm not here to lay out like, you know, do this and don't do this. I mean, some of you are like, please just tell me, what what can I watch and not watch? But that's not what Paul's doing. This this is something you take. I mean, do you watch that or not? I don't know. That's, I'm not the Holy Spirit in your life. But he does dwell in you if you're a believer. And for some of us, we just need to ask this question more often. We need to, we need to retune you know, that spiritual frequency in our life so that, so that we're more attuned. We're, we're listening better to how the Spirit leads us. Here's another one. Does it build me up spiritually? Does it, is it something that brings me under its power? I mean, is, so we are free. We've been, we're free in Christ. And one of the things, we are free from the power of sin. We're free from bondage. We're free from the slavery and the, and the tyranny and all. We get to walk free in Christ. We are free to follow Christ. So why would I bring anything into my life that has the potential to enslave me or um, compromise my freedom? Why would I bring anything into my life that would have an undue influence over me? Maybe it's a habit. Maybe, maybe certain food. You know, it, you do well, and yet, then there's this one thing, and then that, you know, it spirals down for you, maybe. Maybe it's some pursuit in your life. Maybe it's some passion you've adopted. It's broad. But what is it for you? What is it that has the potential or actual power in your life where you no longer find that you're making decisions of, of the mind and the will, but yet it is your, it's your desires and your impulses and your cravings that are driving you. What is that? 
Here's another, do, do I have an uneasy conscience about it? We, we should ask that question. Am I, am I uneasy? Am I out of sorts about that deal? Do I have a, and do I have a check in my spirit about it? In Romans chapter 14, verse 23, Paul writes this, everything that does not come from faith is sin. That's how he defines sin. See, we typically define sin, but like we have this list. These are the things I can't do. And if I do these things, any of these things, that's sin. And most of us, a lot of those things are all, you know, all on the same list. And, and so we define sin by, man, did we break some rule? Did we not check some box we were supposed to check? Or did we, we violate something we weren't supposed to do? And, and in some ways, yes, that, I, yes, that is sin, I guess. But Paul, he, he like blows that away. He's like, man, I'm not letting you off the hook that easy. Listen to it again how he defines it. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. Now that changes everything, doesn't it? All of a sudden, I'm, I'm not less a sinner. I'm more a sinner than I could even have possibly imagined. If I just mentally go through all the things that I don't do or the ways I, I don't walk in faith. And Paul says that's sin. I'm falling short there of the glory of God. That I'm meant to reflect and I'm meant to enjoy. And so where Paul says in 31, whether I eat or I drink or I do any other mundane autopilot thing in my life, I would do that to the glory of God. My whole life, my breath in and my breath out, would be to the glory of God. And, and listen, when you say, man, is my conscience uneasy about it the temptation is to look and go well you know so-and-so's conscience isn't uneasy about it and it's okay for them maybe that's okay for me no because what might be okay for them or okay for them now in their conscience with God if the Holy Spirit is telling you no it is no for you Set that aside. Don't let that become a stumbling block to your growth in Christ. Last one, does it cause somebody else to stumble? Would I in some way be harming somebody else's faith? We've got to ask it. And this is where Paul's going. So he says in verse uh, 25, eat whatever sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of contents. Here's what he means. If you were going to go to the butcher and you were going to buy some steaks for Friday night, you lived in Corinth in the first century, the, the reality is most all of that meat had come from animals that had been sacrificed at 
temples, they were sacrificed to idols, to false gods. And so the butchers, they got the meat and they sold it to the public. That's where the majority of it came from. And Paul's saying, look, it's okay. First of all, we don't believe idols are really gods. There are no gods, but one God. And you need to want the meat, you want to have some steaks, you want to have a celebration, you go and buy the meat. But don't go to the butcher and say, well, listen, you know, I really need some steaks for Friday night, but I was wondering about those. Did they uh, by any chance come from, the, uh, from one of the temples? Because the answer is going to be Yes. Don't worry about it, Paul says. Don't even ask the question. Just go buy the steaks and enjoy them. You have the freedom to do that. In fact, in verse, he pulls out, next verse 26, he quotes from Psalm 24. The, the, the Lord, the, the, the earth is the Lord's. God created everything and said it was good. Let's be people who enjoy God's creation. This is what he's saying. And then, verse 27, he presents a case study. So, like, okay, let me give you a scenario. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner... Now, just stop right there. I love this. So, first of all, neighbors is the word for the, somebody who's different than us, thinks differently than us. And here, now, he's talking specifically about unbelievers... Most believers, most Christians, you know, you get involved in a church, you get in your small group and all this. And, and this isn't bad. I know we want you to have Christian community and fellowship. This is important and it's important for our growth. But one of the unfortunate consequences is that within a couple of years, we don't have any friends that are unbelievers. Most of us don't have any friends that think differently than we do. You know? Let me just say, uh, yeah, I'll say it. Yeah. You know, you, this might surprise you. It might blow you away in here. Do you know that you have brothers and sisters in Christ that are even members of the same church you're a member of that will vote differently than you do? Come November? Do you know that? Try to get to know one of those people between now and then. And I'm not saying to have a fight. Don't do this to have a fight. I'm just saying there are people that are your brothers and sisters in Christ. They are pursuing and, and seeking, and desiring to grow in Christ just like you are. And they see lots of things very differently. This is good for us. And unbelievers, it, it's okay to have people that are your friends that are not believers. Paul assumes it here. Verse 27, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Don't sit down and in your self-righteousness or your high horse say, well, these steaks look really great. Um, by any chance, 
Do you know, was this sacrifice to Isis or <laughs> Horus or Poseidon, maybe in the case of a tuna steak or something like that? <laughs> Don't do that. Paul says, that's ridiculous. Just eat, what, eat what's set before you. And listen, and the only reason not to eat it is if it's terrible or something. I remember, Leslie and I, we lived in Oklahoma, and Maggie, our oldest, was about nine months old. And we had this couple that invited us over for dinner. I've told this story a few times. And my, my fear is that somehow this couple has snuck back into my life, and I didn't realize it. But they invited us over for dinner, and, I, you know, we were like, yeah, man, somebody invited us to dinner. Let's go to dinner. So we go over to their house to have dinner, and I, listen, I'm not a rookie, all right? I mean, you can tell. I, know, I can eat stuff, all right? I'm not super picky. But we sat down to dinner, and this, this woman, bless her heart, she served us this yellow curry that tasted like pledge furniture polish <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't I, I was sure I think she did sacrifice that to some idol all right <laughs> so I mean yeah if you can't eat it don't eat it but there's no reason to say I, there's no reason to be you know hey just eat it enjoy it without a thought now look at what he says though in verse 28 he says but if someone says to you this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but his. And I've thought about it this week. And Paul, you know, as he, as he talks about the someone, the, verse 28, the someone twist, you know, the someone clause. He doesn't tell us who the someone is. You know, it could be that the announcement was just an innocent announcement from the host. And it comes up and you're like, oh, I, you know, I didn't know that. And I'll tell you though, I, gosh, I'm, I'm so glad to be over here for dinner and these steaks look great and everything. But man, I worship Jesus and my life is a living sacrifice. And so because of that, I made a decision that I'm, I'm not participating in the sacrifices to any, any idols or other gods. Or, and I'm not, you know, it's not an occasion for you to get on a high horse or put on your, you know, virtues and, and begin to explain to them how they're bad. No, no reason to do that. It's like, you know, you can't participate in that. And there are occasions that come up. So, you know, this is fun. I enjoy being with you. But this thing, I have to bow out at this point. Not anything to do with you. has to do with how I really am trying to live my life for the Lord. I, I worship Jesus. That's it. Could it be, I think, maybe somebody was trying to compromise you. You know, thought maybe they'd try to catch you in the act. It's not your conscience that's at stake, but it is theirs. I'm not going to let them do that to you. It's what the Pharisees followed Jesus around all the time, trying to compromise him, watching him, trying to catch him. 
there be people you come across in life that try to do that to you? Okay. You know, there's a third scenario, though. It could be that a Nellie Olson was also invited to dinner. You know who Nellie Olson is? Some of you are like, I have no idea who that is. I told Leslie about it. She's like, you're going to have to explain it. <laughs> Little House on the Prairie. And, and listen, if you hadn't watched any Little House on the Prairie, this is a truth you can rectify in your life this afternoon. All right? <laughs> Go watch some of this stuff. Well, Nellie Olson, she's kind of one of the antagonists, all right? The spoiled brat in Little House on the Prairie. The tattletale loved, you know, creating drama and sucking people into situations where then she's ultimately the center of attention. Superior to everybody else. The moral police. Except she doesn't really live by the same standards she holds everybody else to. Could be Nellie Olson was also invited and she's in there poking around the kitchen trash looking for the butcher paper label. Because she has a high horse, she gets on it, makes a deal of it. The epitome of a legalist. A weaker brother or sister who thinks they're the ones that are strong. Also, we don't play those games. We bow out and move on. In the case study before us, the Dinner gets ruined by the revelation of an idol sacrifice, and he tells us how to respond. He says, look, dinner's over. Pick up McDonald's on the way home. Don't eat it. But notice why. For the sake of the one that informed you, we talked about that. But then look also, he says, for the sake of conscience. So, so all of a sudden, this, this becomes, in Paul's mind, this isn't an occasion for you to get on a high horse about the decisions that you've made in your life. What this becomes is this becomes a gospel moment. It becomes an opportunity for you to say, no, I, you know what, my life's a living... I'm living my life for Jesus. And listen, there's nothing in this world like the aroma of Christ in your life. When you live a life that matches a love that you have for your Savior, and you're comfortable with that, it's easy for you. You know, weird. You, of course, it just flows out of you. That's who you are. There's nothing more attractive than that. People around you, even in Tyler, Texas, are desperate to give their lives away to something, someone that would bring them peace, joy, contentment, assurance. That's what we have. That's what we get to share. We're the salt and the light in the world. That's who you are. You're the salt and the light. Of course, consider everyone else better than yourself. Paul will say at the end, so that I might win a hearing with them, so that they might be saved. Of course we would do that. He says, I don't mean your conscience. It's for their conscience. My liberty is not determined by somebody else's Conscience? It's determined by 
my walk with the Lord, as I follow the Spirit, and I seek to honor and please Him with my life, because I don't want anything in my life to get in the way of growing in Christ. I mean, that's where joy is. Did you know that? That's where the greatest joy in your life is. It is not by elevating one truth over a whole bunch of other truths. That's why the Corinthians were writing. They didn't have that joy. Paul says, listen, you got to balance this with what God says, and you're only going to know what God says if you spend time in God's Word and in prayer and in growing in Christ, and you're going to mature. Susanna Wesley writes about telling one of her children what sin was about, John. He says, this is how she described it. This is good for us. Listen to this. If you would judge of the lawlessness or unlawlessness of pleasure, un- unlawfulness of pleasure, then take this simple rule. Whatever weakens your reason or impairs the tenderness of your conscience, hmm, if it obscures your sense of God, or if it takes the relish off of the spiritual things in life, then to you, that's sin. Set that aside. Don't let anything threaten the primary relationship that you have with the God who saved you because of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so then Paul is going to say, So whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, you do that to the glory of God. See, we kind of expect it to go, well, when you go on a mission trip, when you're out passing out tracts, when you're singing on Sunday morning, and he doesn't not mean those things. But Paul goes right to the heart of the most ordinary, mundane, even autopilot things of our life. Eating and drinking and whatever it is we do. Our breathing in and our breathing out. We would do to the glory of God. You know, God created us in His image. We're meant to reflect His glory. We're meant to behold it and then to reflect it. And in that beholding and reflecting of God's glory. And then whatever we do, we do to the glory of God in that we are living in the dead center of what we were created to be. And in that, in the center of that, there is no greater joy. Listen, the temptations that we face or that we become joy chasers all out there, you know, happiness chasers. Not realizing all the while how that dulling our senses and quenching our desires. Paul says, look, all things are permissible. Of course. But that's not the only truth. Not all things make you holy. Not all things are free from you becoming enslaved in them. 
Not all things are helpful to those around you. Not all those things, not, not all things build up people around you. So we have to balance one truth with the reality of these other truths. So we walk in the Spirit and not in our flesh, which we so reflexively and easily are prone to do. I'm going to leave you with this hat. I want you to ask, Lord, what am I supposed to hear this morning? Where in my life are you shining a light? Where am I pursuing my own interests, my own pleasure? Where am I in danger, potentially or actually, of dulling? My sensitivity to, to my conscience, to, to your spirit that indwells me. What in my life keeps me from hearing you? Would you ask that this morning? Would you, would you not leave here? Would, would you not just go on with the rest of your day without taking a moment and considering? What is God saying to you about the glory you reflect in your life. If you would, would you bow with me? Father, I pray. Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And, and Father, we want to do that this morning. The, the natural man in us just wants to know, well, just tell me what to do and not do. And, and yet, Father, that's not, re it's not the relationship that you've brought us into. That's not the intimacy that you desire for us to have with you. It's one that we would know you more and better. To hear you and respond and follow you. And Father, our life as we grow spiritually would look more like Christ, that we would behold your glory. We would reflect your glory. Father, we live in the center of your will and not spend so much time looking for the fringes. A life where we're pursuing you, not a life of how much can we get away with. So, Father, I pray you'd do that in this moment this morning. That we'd stop and pause and ask you what you're saying to us. So Father, I pray this is the only way we can this morning. And that is in the name of your son, Jesus, who's our Savior. And he's seated at your right hand and is our advocate Father, by the power of your Spirit who intercedes for us and prays with us and for us, Father, we bring all these things to you. Amen. Well, if you would, would you stand with me? We'll be dismissed. Next week, a little preview. It's the one you've been waiting for since we started Corinthians. We're talking about head coverings. 
We'll have a bunch of hats at the door for you when you... Not really, but it ought to be funny. I really wouldn't want you to miss it, all right? May the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you. Amen. See you next week.